It's go time. Courtesy of the Three Down Nation podcast. If you follow that, the natural extension, Justin, of growing the game is is having better financial outcomes. In all of this, yes, there is an expectation that this is going to take us someplace better. Uh, Exactly where that someplace is, we don't know, but it is certainly, it was a great day to be talking about talking with really, really good people. And when you're in the room with them, as we've had a chance to be, there's a, there's a tremendous authenticity to who they are. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to the podcast today, Justin Dunk, Three Down Nations, CHCH Television in uh, Hamilton. Yes, sir. Hey, I remembered. Awesome to see you again. Yeah, buddy. Good to be on with you. Always fun to be talking about Canadian football. And we actually have a season to chop up, my man. Ah, I am so happy that we have real games coming. And it's not that long until they actually start. We're, what, a couple weeks away from training camps. That's right. July 10th. Football will be back on the field. August 5th, obviously. The season opener. Ticats and Bombers. The Riders host the Lions on August 6th, and off we go. Going to be crazy. There's uh, Speaking of crazy, Brad Sinopoli retired this morning. That's right. You got the sense, talking to people around the league, Don, that there was going to be some retirements and some, maybe some lesser-known players, and we've seen some of those coming out, but there was also a sense that there was going to be all-star caliber, some starter types that were going to leave, and Brad Sinopoli stepping away wasn't surprising to me, and it was an announcement they wanted to make coming out with the team. Brad likes to do it the proper way. So obviously we see Sinopoli stepping back. Big loss for the Red Blacks. And he's actually going to go on to a career where he's an ambassador for OSEG, Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group, and also going to be a fishing guy. That's something he really loves. Well, that's great that he's got something lined up post-football. He's going to be missed in that lineup because not only is he a, a quality receiver, he's a quality guy. Certainly. One of the buds with Greg Ellingson famously, and then they were split up when Ellingson went out to Edmonton. But in Sinopoli, we're talking about a guy that had four 1,000-yard seasons in five years with Ottawa. And he went across the middle so many times for them, you know, took hits. And really for him, this was a decision about his health and the ability to be there for his family long term, right? He's got a young family in the area of Ottawa. He was due to make pro-rated, albeit, but still $160,000 in 2021. So it wasn't like he was a minimum salary guy. So it was really health over money and anything else. Well, we wish him all the best. There's been other sort of talk coming out of the league where Craig Dickinson in Saskatchewan said, if you're not in shape coming into camp, you can forget your job. Yeah, and you might get beat out by some of the younger guys that are coming in. I will say on the flip side of that, it's a little difficult for the players who are trying to prepare for a season and they go through 2020 and there's all this uncertainty and they still have to put food on the table for their family. So they go into other employment and it's difficult, as we well know, to work, let's say, hypothetically, a a 40-hour-a-week job while still training at some sort of a decent level. And that's just for us normal citizens. That's not being in tip-top shape to play pro football at the level that we see it in Canada. Well, and for a lot of these players, they have to walk away from jobs to 
get themselves ready for game shape so they can actually get out on the field. So there's another decision that you have to take and when do you make that move? Exactly. It's an investment for them that they're stepping away and not bringing in money for their family, that they're investing it. And yes, they're going to earn money in the CFL when they play. But the fact that, as you said, you have to step away from a job and make that commitment to train, to be ready to compete at training camp, which we all know is a high level of football and it's a high quality of talent that actually makes CFL rosters is a commitment in and of itself. What do you think of the uh, moves by some of the teams to get together for training camp? Uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, possibly Winnipeg, Toronto, Hamilton, logical choices, but uh, having these camps come together, is that a one way to sort of address the loss of a preseason game? It is. I think it will really help those teams evaluate a little bit better. It sounded like the Montreal Alouettes wanted to have some type of a controlled scrimmage or integrated practices with the Ottawa Red Blacks, but it seems like the Red Blacks don't want to for whatever reason. Maybe that will change. And then BC sort of left without a dance partner. But to me, it makes a ton of sense overall. You're getting guys back in a football setting. And before you have that first game kickoff where it's actually going to count, to have somebody across from you that is not wearing the same color jersey is a much different situation than going against the same schemes and stuff and practice and yes you're gonna have the practice squad trying to mimic what those teams do but it's still not the same so I really think it's smart to have these controlled practices and do it in a safe way and do it with the teams where you can bust to. The other thing of course the schedule itself has got its quirks. British Columbia for example plays six home games against the West and three road games. Uh, Winnipeg and Ottawa do not play. Toronto and Hamilton, Montreal and Ottawa each play four times. There's been a lot of criticism saying that this could have been far simpler, but I just think if the CFL, with their notion that they want to have more games within the division, you're going to get a bumpy ride when you shorten the schedule. You are for sure. And the one thing that stuck out to me, Don, is you have the Ticats and the Argos playing four times. you got the Stamps and the Elks playing four times. But the Riders and the Bombers play just twice. So if we're talking about this idea of a schedule, and like you said, it's going to have its quirks, but... One where you want to limit potentially air travel and cut down on the travel expenses. Why are the riders of the bombers not playing four times? Like to me, from an economic standpoint, that's certainly going to benefit you. And yes, it's old school, but you could argue that the riders of the bombers, whoever's going to the other province, can just hop in a bus and go. It's about what a six-hour trip, I think, between those cities, straight shot almost. So. To me, I really don't understand that. You also have the Red Blacks and the Alouettes that play four times. So to me, the team that you could argue, or the teams that have the biggest rivalry in the CFL and that probably have the best chance of packing their stadiums, and by what I mean by that is Scott Moe coming out and saying he wants a full mosaic stadium pretty much from the get-go for the riders. I'm talking about capacity limits. Why would you not have that go down four times? To me, that's the one big one that I can't understand. I just wonder if there wasn't room in the schedule to do it. That at some point they had to say, "Look, we can't, we can't fit this in." There's because there's only so many home dates that you have, only so many road dates. You've got to play so many in the division. There's all these givens that you have, and eventually you just got to give something up to make it all fit. That's a six to seven hour bus ride from Winnipeg to to Regina. I don't know how many times the riders want to take a bus to go to Winnipeg and vice versa. <laughs> so it's probably a plane ride, which means are they really further ahead by playing them an extra two times? 
Yeah, and you're right. When you factor in the bye weeks that need to be in there and just overall how the schedule is going to come together, I'm sure there were different iterations. But to me, I just would have made that the first one. Okay, these teams are going to play four times, and we'll work off of that. Yeah, I just I kind of think that they went the other way around, that the East was going to play eight in the division, and then from there they worked out. Yeah, and that seems to make sense, right? Because you said it's a six- or seven-hour ride anyways, whereas in the East... You know, Toronto and Hamilton, obviously, it's on a good day with traffic. should just be an hour uh, one way. And Montreal and Ottawa are clearly very close. It's not a six-hour drive. It might be just a couple from Ottawa to Montreal by the time you get there. And they're in the same division. So, you know, I get it where it's a little trickier in the West. you got five teams out there. It's not an even-numbered division, and there's going to be some oddities. So I'm sure it was tricky to put together. But, hey, man, at least we got a schedule, right? I've done the, the Eastern Tour where I've seen games in Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, and Hamilton. And it's far easier to get around because the distances are so much shorter out there than it, any trip from Regina anywhere is longer than Montreal to Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. If you're defining a schedule and you're concerned about distance, the East is always going to win out. <laughs> yeah, no question in that for sure. It's been over 100 days since you broke that the CFL and the XFL were talking, talking about talking famously from the commissioner. In that 100 plus days, where do you think these discussions have gone or have they gone anywhere? Are they still talking? Have they, have they met in the last month? The talks seem to be largely centered around the business aspect of it. There have been discussions and they're ongoing. You know, the CFL is obviously focused on the 2021 season. Danny Garcia one of the co-owners, let's call her, of the XFL recently was out in the public talking about what she wants to do with the XFL in the future. And they can't really mention the CFL because of the non-disclosure agreements that they've signed. But these discussions are ongoing. They're a little bit less frequent now because the CFL, you know, trying to put football in the season, getting all the appropriate approvals that they need. But really at the start, and from what I believe is still going on right now, is it's discussions about the business because you have all the CFL owners, and it's difficult enough to get them on the same page. Now you have a new ownership group potentially that could come together from both leagues. And you have Danny Garcia, you have The Rock, you know, and their people are going to be involved in there. And obviously Redbird Capital. So you have all of these different people coming together. And you have to figure out how to chop up the money. And as we well know in the CFL, the private owners for sure... They're not too keen on divulging their finances. And if you were the owner of a team, would you want to give up potential revenue that could be rolling into your league? And those conversations are going to be difficult when you're talking with people that, in a lot of situations, you, you probably never met before. You know, I'm sure everyone's familiar with The Rock, but when you're talking about him and his business partners and coming to a comfortable relationship there, that's going to take some time, right? Just like anyone in any other type of business. It takes time to get comfortable. You have to develop trust. So to me, that's what I understand is going on behind the scenes right now is what would the potential business relationship look like? And then you can start talking about what's the football actually going to look like on the field. I know they've discussed whether they're going to play three downs on an American field or four downs on the Canadian field and all the different iterations that you could think about to throw out there. But that's not necessarily the focus right now because you have to get the business aspect of it squared away first. And even before that, you have to decide 
What are we actually going to do? Is it going to be a full-on merger? Is it going to be a scenario where the CFL just plays their games in Canada for the entire season and the XFL plays theirs in the United States and there's a one-game, I don't want to call it a Super Bowl, but continental football championship or North American football championship game that you have at the end of those seasons or the schedule is actually going to be merged? What's that all going to look like? It's really difficult when you start thinking about it and people do want answers, but I understand why that process could take a long time to play out. Don't you think it would be rather, in a sense, if this all came to this futile, if they just agreed that, okay, you're going to play over there, we're going to play over here and we'll just shake hands and be nice to each other. Don't you think there has to be, given the amount of energy going into this, a significant seed change in the way that the CFL operates and that the XFL and the CFL, whether you call it merger or a buyout or whatever the case may be, that the CFL as we know it structurally won't be the same when the dust settles. I don't think just because they're talking means that there's going to be something major that happens. I will say this. I do think the CFL didn't put themselves in the best light by having their 2020 season canceled and Randy Ambrosi goes to the Canadian government and says, you know, we lost between 10 to 20 million in recent seasons. And the XFL is looking at that going, well, hey, if you guys are losing this much money, you know, with what we could potentially bring to the table, that's where that leverage and the bargaining power to me really hits the road where it becomes difficult because as I said, the owners don't want to give up any of the potential revenue. So now if you're the CFL It's a much different situation where Bill C-218 is about to change, potentially, the financial landscape of the CFL. So if you see this new influx, potentially millions of dollars, and it could even be larger for each CFL team and the league overall coming in, maybe the CFL doesn't need to partner as badly as they thought with a league like the XFL. So there's these outside factors to me now that could change the tone of the discussions. And people talk about, well, the CFL needs an American television deal. Well, all of their games, or a number of them, especially the big ones, I should say, are already on ESPN. Now, that is not a massive revenue generator for the CFL, but their games are on American television. So Now, if you have betting thrown in there and you have a little bit more of an exclusive window where maybe you slide the CFL schedule around in terms of the timing of it, and people have talked about a little bit starting it earlier, that maybe the CFL doesn't necessarily need the XFL in the way that a lot of people have come to think that they do. That said, the CFL is still going to put energy into it, as you mentioned, to explore the opportunities, see what might be possible and then make a decision from there, right? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. So they don't necessarily have to make a major change and a merger. Maybe there's some sort of an agreement where they have a collaboration and they come together and it's not a full-on merger, or maybe it's nothing at all. There's some people behind the scenes that feel like it's just hype and it was a great way to get people talking, especially in Canada, about the CFL. And even a lot of Americans as as well have been talking about the CFL. But overall, I don't think just because they're talking about talking, at least a few months ago, doesn't mean that they're talking about a full-on major reconstruction because there's so many ways it could go. But it's like any relationship. The more you invest into it, the more you hope to achieve from it. 
And if it comes to nothing at the end, are you going to sense some bitterness on one side or the other? I don't think there would be bitterness. It seems like, you know, both sides are talking nice right now, especially publicly. But I'd like to get a camera or a microphone hidden in there and see what actually is talked about in some of these meetings. Because when you get into business discussions, you know, we're talking about real money. So those discussions are going to have a much different tone than we've seen from people talking about it publicly. So I think to answer what you're getting at that just because you're talking and putting time into it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a wholesale change. And you referred to uh, C218 that's about to receive royal assent. And how does the CFL address that? Do they try to get a stipend from every bet or do they just sign deals with different uh, gambling corporations to have them take care of it and then go from there? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a betting expert in the gaming sense of it and understanding how all the money is sort of piecemealed out. But what I have been told is that if the CFL does this properly, like this could net them millions. Now, that's a bit of a generic statement to say could net them millions. But there's people that feel like, you know, it could be worth a couple million per team. If the league really embraces it, and let's say, for example, each team has a betting app that whether you're watching the game at home, Don, at Mosaic Stadium, or you're in the stadium there in Regina, that you can place a bet on you know pretty much anything you want would be the idea that I would approach it as. You know Whether Cody Fajardo is going to complete his next pass, whether the Riders are going to score over or under 30 points in the game, you know whether Gain of the Gopher is going to fall on his head or fall off a cart or something silly. Like There's all kinds of these silly prop bets that really only kind of get out into the general public around the Super Bowl, but they're going to be more and more available. So if the CFL gets on board of the teams and have an app that they're going to monetize, then they can make more money from that. Certainly right off the jump, they're going to be betting partners like the big ones. And we at Three Down Nation have a partnership with Bodog Canada. They've been around for a long time. Places like those have been knocking on the CFL's door for a number of years. So they're going to first and foremost, see money flowing from that. But the CFL, to your point, needs to figure out the best way where they get the money in their pockets. And I think a betting app and each team owning their own, and yes, you might have a partnership individually, and we've seen that in other leagues, you know, especially the NHL, where individual teams have partnerships with individual sports books. There's going to be lots of ways that you can open the door to get revenue here, But as you said, it's how can the CFL make sure they're at least getting a cut from the provincial gaming associations, you know, from those in-game apps that they hopefully come up with. Will the league have their overall app that people are betting on? There's various ways to go about it, and hopefully the CFL finds a way to maximize it. The CFL at best has rarely been agile when it comes to innovation off the field. Do you think they have the energy and the will to get something going quick enough so that by 2021 or the latest 2022, they are full on with this type of betting app? Well, to be honest, they should have seen this coming and they knew that the bill was being put forward and you saw that the way it was being talked about, that it was likely going to pass. That was a sense that I got at least, the way the senators were pushing it and talking about it. It didn't seem like they were going to vote it down. So to me, the CFL, and I believe this is the case, already has a committee that's been put together to focus on this aspect. So they've been planning for it. But your question is certainly valid is, can they maximize 
the monetization potential to its fullest? That is a major question mark because we know there's no issue with the caliber of football in this league. And if you talk to personnel guys around the league, they'll say if the business operation matched the caliber of football that we put on the field and we being the players, you know, obviously the coaches that mold that talent and the personnel guys that go out and find it, that the CFL would be making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars because there's no issue with the on-field product. The CFL needs to mobilize in this atmosphere very quickly. They need to have an app ready to go for 2021 when the season kicks off on August 5th, even if it's not at the full capacity that they want, because they need to take complete advantage of this. And I would imagine it's an area where the owners or the league won't have an issue investing in because it's going to net them a return. And you can see that it's tangible because as you referenced in the past, we haven't seen the league invest in, let's say, marketing the game as much as people would want because they're not sure is that going to actually bring the return on investment. So hopefully this spurs forward more revenue for the CFL overall for it to become a bigger, wider, far spread product in our country and around the world. As they go into the room with the XFL and where they were before, they didn't have much to show. Suddenly now, hey, we've got this. Does that change that dynamic? To me, I really do think that it does because you know that you're going to have this influx of money. Now, you won't really know how much that is on a yearly basis until you go through a season. And we're still only going to have a 14-game one, hopefully 14 games, in 2021. But still, you'll have some sort of an idea of maybe what one game can generate overall depending what the cfl is able to do and then in 2022 and as you go forward how else you can better maximize that monetization potential so i certainly think it changes those discussions with the xfl because as you said now the cfl is opening up this new revenue stream that could be a major one for them and that will change the discussions because as i referenced before whether it's the community-owned teams or the six private owners, they're not going to want to give up their control or their revenue that they're bringing in unless it's for substantial gain in any type of partnership with the XFL. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. The USFL now has put forward that they're coming back in 2022. How does that play in the discussion? I don't get the sense in terms of people that I've talked to that the USFL is really going to change anything for the CFL or the XFL or the potential that, that they're going to get together. The USFL was co-founded by Brian Woods. Now, it obviously existed way back, I believe, in the 1980s, but Woods was the guy behind the Spring League, and in that league, the vast majority of players were paying to play. So until you can show, and some people do slag the CFL that their salaries are low, but hey, it's still minimum salary is $65,000. You know, I know it's rough after taxes if you go back to the States, but you can still live off that. Until you show... USFL I'm talking about, that you can pay your players, you know, even close to that amount, that I don't think people are going to take you seriously. So I haven't heard any worry about the USFL coming back from CFL people that I've talked to. 
Is it just a rebrand of the Spring League? Very much could be that way. And I get that's kind of what I'm getting at with the salaries is until they start paying people legitimate wages to play football, it's not pro football. Like it's semi-pro, I guess some people want to call it, which already happens throughout Canada. We saw Darren Burns, a 57-year-old, play out in the Maritimes and became the first Canadian to play in six different decades. But, you know, he's playing for the love of the game and paying to play, right? He's helping out with the costs associated with renting the field and all that stuff and, and what he pays to play. So until you're paying the players, you know, a livable wage, to me, it's not pro football. When training camps finally get going and the energy is palpable, how do you think fans are going to react? Because we've always heard that if they didn't play in 2021, it was out of sight, out of mind. Do you think we're going to see the excitement sort of build as we get toward August? It certainly seems like that. And that's really just going by what you and I and anyone else can judge online, that the excitement for CFL football to be back and the fact that some people maybe had taken it for granted, I really take that away from all the social media reaction. But until we see either the television ratings or the attendance, then we won't be able to make a substantial judgment on or decision on if people actually really miss it and are coming back. Now, the other part of that is going to be, well, how comfortable are people potentially going to be, let's say in Saskatchewan, where Scott Moe wants to fill Mosaic Stadium, to go back into a large setting like that where you potentially could have over 30,000 people in one venue. I think it's going to take some time as well for people to feel comfortable. I know you and I were talking about, you know, if we're kind of in some situations, you know, around larger groups of people, we might still be putting our masks on, regardless of where the virus is at. So I think overall, it might not be able to be decided right away. And that's where I think really the television numbers and, you know, hopefully the streaming numbers are really boosted by the league being away. And out east, out west, who do you think is going to get out of the gate quickly? And who do you think is going to be the team to watch other than Hamilton and other than Winnipeg? <laughs> yeah, the easy one in the east is the Cats, right? Because they kept their continuity. So I'll just touch on them very quickly. The most intriguing team to me in the east, it has to be the Toronto Argonauts. You have a completely new coaching staff there. You have Nick Arbuckle, a new quarterback who was kind of with the Ottawa Red Blacks, and then a bunch of this talent that they've signed in free agency and former NFL players as well. So how that comes together will be, I think, the most interesting to watch in the East. And for me, out West, a healthy Bo Levi Mitchell usually means the Calgary Stampeders are competing for a Grey Cup. It doesn't seem to matter who the Stamps put around him. It's going to be a different-looking Stampeders roster, especially, you know, without Eric Rogers there, who was a go-to guy for Bo Levi Mitchell. But Mitchell has shown over the years that he can put guys in the NFL that you've never heard of. And he's done that with a number of receivers, Reggie Begleton being the latest one of those. So I look at the Stampeders as being a contender out there, and I'm real curious in your backyard to see what happens with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, how Cody Fajardo does with going into training camp, being the number one guy from the jump, which has never happened in his pro career, having that offense alongside Jason Moss and what they could potentially do there. And I think everyone gets focused on Moss as a head coach and his temper tantrums, but as an offensive coordinator, we got to remember, he had four 1,000-yard receivers when he was in Ottawa. Like, that dude knows how to dial up an offense and really can pile up the points 
if that's what he's focused on. I don't think it's fair for us to just look at him and categorize him as a head coach, but in a way, he's kind of done it to himself because he's beat up the Gatorade or thrown his headset or whatever else he's done. Those would be my most intriguing teams. In the East, Argos, out West, the Riders. Of course, Moss's former team is rebranded as the Elks. What do you think of uh, their new look? I like it. I think they did a great job. You know, I was a little bit partial to Elkhounds, but I mean, Elks and Elkhounds is close enough as well. I just feel like, you know, we don't have any dog names in the CFL. That would have been really cool and it would have fit as well. But I mean, Elks makes a ton of sense. You know, it goes back to their history with the franchise as well. And the fact that they took the opportunity to create a cool new brand around the team. It seems like a, a lot of the young people out in Edmonton are jumping on board and buying the Elks gear that they seem to have really done a great job. The merch looks awesome. And I'm kind of curious to see if they're going to wear the antlers on opening day. You would imagine you got to come out strong, right? Antler up out the gate. <laughs> you bet. When we get to Hamilton in December, who is going to be there? Well, as you know, Don, predictions never really are as easy as they seem, even though everyone's going to say, oh, well, the Tigers and the Bombers will be back in the Grey Cup. That's not the way it shakes out. I do think, though, that the Ticats, I don't want to say are feeling the pressure, but are sensing that they've been building to this moment for a while, and with the continuity that they have and the way that the East is, with the Argos having to come together quickly and... The Alouettes are a little bit different looking team since the last time we saw them with GM Danny Machocha putting his stamp on the franchise and the Ottawa Red Blacks, everyone thinks it's going to finish last. So I think the Ticats get there out of the East. The West, to me, is going to be a totally different story because the Riders go 13-5 and in 2019, but Trevor Harris was hurt that year, Bully Levi Mitchell was hurt, and so was Mike Riley. To me, if those quarterbacks, the marquee ones that are stars in this league, can stay healthy. It's going to be much different for Fajardo to try to get through there and potentially to the Grey Cup. And oh, by the way, you have Zach Kalaros, who has played at an MLP level in the past that looked like and showed flashes of that MLP ability in that stretch run to a Grey Cup with the Blue Bombers. He's had a lot of time to talk with new offense coordinator Buck Pierce over the break due to the canceled season. I can't even pick a team out of the West to be quite honest right now. I know that is not what you're going for, but it's so difficult because you have these rosters that are really great and you have the quarterbacks that are healthy. So if I was going to give you one, and I'll do it on the spot right now, just for you, Don, that I got to look at Bo Levi Mitchell getting there a redemption year. He's fully healthy. He looks totally different he's clearly committed to being ready and it would be a little bit of a comeback player of the year kind of story how do people find in folio well first of all on twitter at jdunk12 you can get all the goods there and then on instagram as well at jdunk underscore 12 try to make it the same but had to throw the underscore in there and then three downnation.com will be following everything for the season dawn it's weird in a way to be talking about football, but I'm all right with getting back into the flow of it because it's much better than the alternative. And hey, we didn't even say the C word the entire time with you, buddy. I think that's what we should try to do moving forward. That is a plan. <laughs> Thanks. I hope everyone gets what I mean by the C word. <laughs> I think they will. Thank you for listening to our show. 
Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching.